0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: What I want to do today is to talk to you about how you can make the most of your divine appointments when God brings you into contact with somebody so that we can be effective, so that we can reach San Jose, Santa Clara County, so that we can reach California and the world beyond, so that we can be part of the kingdom of God, fulfilling the mission which is to take the message of Jesus out to the people.
0: I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The anthem for all my
1: life
0: Every giant will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past that nothing is with you oh, is Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us here on the broadcast today, studying God's Word. We would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be continuing with our Decoding Jesus teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us again to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: We want to look at Jesus and the woman at the well. And we want to really, oh, there's a, three mistakes we want to avoid when we share the gospel. And I want to talk about that because witnessing is no easy task and it's difficult. Sometimes we make it more difficult. Sometimes the people we're trying to share the gospel with, the people we're trying to talk to and share Jesus with, sometimes they make it difficult. It's, it's, it's no easy task. Our message is simple. All we have to do is be like a good post postal employee or a good waiter or waitress and just deliver the goods. We don't need to make it more difficult. We don't need to make it more offensive. Uh, We we don't need to monkey around with it or anything like that. The gospel, we're told in the Bible, can be an offense. It's an offense to those who are perishing. We don't want to make it more offensive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. And then we jump to John three thirty-six. Whoever believes in the Son has life whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him basically the message of Jesus is faith in Christ is salvation brings salvation but sometimes some of us sometimes people say but what if my faith isn't real what if what does it mean to have faith in Christ what does it mean how can i be assured of my salvation in john 336 among other things deals with the assurance of salvation people want to be sure that they're saved i mean after all you would hate to die and find out that you weren't and so we we look at john three thirty-six and we say what does this have to do with the assurance of salvation what is assurance of salvation what does it mean to have assurance of salvation and i think one of the best passages for looking at this and learning how to present the message and 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 learning how not to present the message and is the story of the woman at the well and so I'd like you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 4 John chapter 4 we're going to go through verses 1 through 43 now we're not going to go through this verse by verse inch by inch but what I want to do first is talk you through the narrative and after I've talked you through the narrative what I'd like to do is to really look at three mistakes that we should avoid So that as we share Christ with other people, we can do so in a way that glorifies God and hopefully blesses them and stretches us. And so let's just understand what's going on here. Let me set this up for you. This comes right on the heel of John 3, 36. Whoever believes the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. A lot of times we look at the break between chapters and assume everything is unconnected and unrelated, but originally... The Bible did not have chapter breaks or versification. And right after this verse about those who believe the gospel and are saved and those who are apathetic or disinterested and remain under the wrath of God, we have this story. We have this historical account of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at the well and, and bringing salvation to her. And we have her reaction. We see that she's not disinterested, but she's very interested But things get off to a rocky start. He doesn't take her parking place, and he doesn't go out of his way to offend her. But what he does is confront her with the grace and truth of her need for repentance and her need for a Savior. Let me start this off for you. Let me set the context. Jesus is on a journey. He's headed for Galilee. He goes through Samaria. Samaria was a place where the people didn't really care much for the Jews. And frankly, the Jews didn't really care much for the Samaritans. You might call it, call it a racial t- or a cultural tension between the two groups. And so it's at 12 noon, the heat of the day, when most people are not out in the sun, kind of like when we held, held our chili cook off, you know. And, and Jesus is at the well, and he's tired, and he's worn out. And he sees this Samaritan woman come up, and he looks, to her, looks at her, and he says, give me a drink. He says, give me a drink. And she looks at him and basically says, you know, am I out of my mind, or did you... A Jew asked me, a Samaritan, for a drink. What's wrong with you? Don't you know we don't get along? Don't you know that we're not people who hang out together? Don't you know we don't have anything in common? It even says that Jews didn't have interactions with Samaritans. And Jesus, seizing on the moment, moves her from the temporal to the eternal. And he says in John 4.10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water he found his point of contact give me a drink she reacts and he engages and he does you know what and she sort of plays this racial thing and he doesn't take the bait he doesn't react he responds and he responds with the eternal message if you knew how good god is if you knew the gift of God. And if you knew who it was that said, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, what's going on here is Jesus is connecting with her and he is reaching out to her. And when she pushes back and and sort of brings up racial or religious differences between the two, he doesn't take the bait. He, she also says, you know, later on, you know, you did not even have anything to scoop the water out with. And, and she kind of goes back and forth between the practical and the racial and the political and the religious. And he stays on the eternal. He stays the course. He brushes aside her provocations in verses 13 and 14. He points to the futility of her secular focus. And he speaks sublimely satisfying words to her about the eternal look at verse 14 13 and 14 you know she says here you know here's the well you don't have water come on and he says everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that I will give to him will never be thirsty again the water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life so he begins with her in the concrete realm of give me something to drink give me some water she pushes him off He brings it back, and then he clearly shifts the conversation to something spiritual. He's clearly indicating that there is more to this life than water, religion, and politics, as she knows it. And finally, as they go back and forth, finally she says, okay, I'll bite, in verse 15. You know, she says, okay, give me this water so I don't have to come back here again. Let me give you some background. Usually you got water at 9 o'clock in the morning or earlier. She's out here at the heat of the day. She's probably not one of their upstanding citizens. The text will reveal later on that she's a woman with a checkered past. And she's probably there because she doesn't want to meet any of the other people from her town. And then here's this Jewish guy. She doesn't want to meet him. And he engages her. And he won't, he won't punch back. He won't push back. And finally, like a typical human being, she says, look, give me something. Give me this water. I'll take the water. Yeah, I'll take eternal life. I don't, want, I don't want to come back to this well. And it's kind of like she kind of leans toward the spiritual side of the equation. She's wanting God on her own terms. So Jesus, what he does in verse 16, is he begins to reveal himself to her. He begins to also display some characteristics of supernatural ability. And we see what happens next. He says to her, look, go get your husband. And bring him back here. And then we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about this water. We'll, you know, and, and she says, well, I don't have a husband. And then he kind of really shows her that the person that she's dealing with and the matter at hand is far bigger than water, politics, race, whatever. Look at uh, verses 17 and 18. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one that you now have is not your husband what you have said is true ouch that had to hurt you know but i want you to watch what happens next because what we see here jesus never backs off of his message he never gets turned to the left or the right he doesn't water down the truth nor does he make it tougher than it needs to be i'm reminded that in john 1 when we read the prologue together john 1 1 through 18 the executive summary of the gospel and john 1:14, it said that jesus was full of grace And truth and we see this here in this interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman he's bringing her the truth he's showing her grace and he's bringing her the truth we're reminded that the gospel stings sometimes for some people the gospel is hard to hear and hard to take it's that way naturally because no one likes to be told that they're a sinner no one likes to be told that they have sort of a terminal eternal disease for which they cannot cure themselves at the same time, and you see this here with Jesus, he's not making it more difficult than it needs to be. And this is something that we need to follow. This is an example that we need to take in here and use. You know, where there's all grace and no truth, it's really not grace at all. And where there's all truth without an ounce of grace, you've really done something to the truth and you've perverted it. And what we see in Jesus, the ever-merciful, ever-truthful, ever-saving God in the flesh who came to seek and save the lost is grace and truth. Now watch what he does next. She backs off and says, you know, I I can tell that you're a prophet because obviously he knows more about her than she could ever have imagined. And for her, maybe a prophet in her culture is more of an occult kind of thing or more of something else. But she's sensing something big and she's starting to become uncomfortable. And so she goes, I can tell you're a prophet and in an effort to sort of punt and get away from him. She kind of turns to the differences between their religious understanding and, and his religious understanding. She plays the Samaritan Jewish thing. And she says, you know, you people, you people say we have to worship in Jerusalem, but we say we have to worship here. Again, she's trying to incite him. She's trying to manipulate the conversation. And what happens beginning in verse 21 is Jesus begins talking about the one true religion. There's only one true religion. There's many man-made religions, and it's like he's saying to her, look, lady, we have bigger fish to fry than the differences in our culture. We have We have bigger fish to fry than the differences in our races, if you want to call it that. You're missing the point. And then he goes on and he tells her, you know, look, in verses 22 to 24, we can't all be right. You know, you worship what you do not know. He basically tells her in a very straightforward, unprovocative, unhateful uncruel way that you're just wrong your religion is wrong you worship what you do not know you don't even know what you worship salvation is from the Jews he stays on message he's not going out of his way to offend her but he is having to tell her the truth that's not an easy thing to do in his age and here we are in the 21st century where we live in a pluralistic age where there's you have your truth and you, and I have mine And we see there's no room for negotiation. There's no room for any of that here. And let me just read to you what she says and what he says to her. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, ma'am, lady, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. And then he goes kind of doctrinal on her. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, in sincerity and in precision, and in accuracy. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, there's this full court press. He's gentle but in, in his own, he's, he's sort of unrelenting. He's not trying to hurt her feelings or make her mad or to get a rise out of her. Sometimes we get distracted and we get wrapped up in philosophies or politics and things like that. That's not what Jesus is doing her. If she becomes increasingly uncomfortable, she finally says, Look, you know, when the Messiah comes, he'll straighten us all out. And now she gets it. He's, he says, She goes, Well, the Messiah will fix all this. And he goes, I am the Messiah. He doesn't water the message down. Can you imagine walking up to somebody you don't know and saying, I am the Messiah? You know, a lot of times we think we have to monkey with the message so that we don't seem too crazy when we say Jesus is the only way. But she hears that, and this is a God encounter right here. And the woman hears that, and she runs into the town and starts telling everybody. She bears witness. There's no apathy, there's no half-heartedness with her. Here's a woman with a past, you know, he... He tells her she's had five husbands, and the guy she's with now isn't her husband, and all of this. And she says, well, when Messiah comes, you know, we'll get it all straight. I am the Messiah, and she's gone. She didn't even pray a prayer. She just believed. It says in verse 28, So the woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? She bears witness. Then others move by, you know, they, she tells people about him. She's not embarrassed. She's not ashamed. Her past is behind her. And she's looking forward to eternal life. And she begins telling, the, it's kind of like social networking. They didn't have Facebook then, so. But she starts posting. It's all about Jesus. It's all about this, this God encounter she had. And in verse 40, it says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And, she, and, and, they stay, and and he and his disciples stayed for two days, and many more believed because of his word. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed, that this in truth, that this certainly is the Savior of the world. They heard his message and responded. They responded to the message of Jesus, all because of this God encounter with the woman at the well. And what I want to do today is to talk to you about how you can make the most of your divine appointments when God brings you into contact with somebody. I want you to understand, I want you to think in terms, and this is sort of a negative way of putting it, but it works. I want you to consider three mistakes that we need to avoid when we share Jesus, when we talk to people about Jesus. Three mistakes to avoid so that we can be effective, so that we can reach San Jose, Santa Clara County. So that we can reach California and the world beyond, so that we can be part of the kingdom of God, fulfilling the mission which is to take the message of Jesus out to the people. And the first mistake to avoid is this do not underestimate the power of the message. Don't underestimate the power of the message. Verse 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know a Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. I mean, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I mean, you want to meet the Messiah? I am the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. That's the message. Jesus is the Savior. That's the message. As you look through that give and take, and I hope when you go home today, you'll read through John chapter 4, and you see how this whole thing plays out between the two of them. Don't miss the fact that Jesus never took the bait. She tried... To trip him up. She tried to put him off. She tried to incite him through race, politics, whatever. And he never went there. You know why? Because it was unimportant. It was immaterial. It wasn't eternal. She says to him, How is it that you, a Jew of all people, would ask me a Samaritan for a glass of water? How is it that you, a millennial, would ask me, a senior citizen, for a glass of water? How is it that you, a Democrat, would ask me, a libertarian, a republican, a green, whatever, for a glass of water? How is it that you, a republican, would ask me, a democrat, for a glass of water? And he just doesn't take the bait. He just doesn't go there. She engages in cultural controversies. Well, I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. and You worship over yonder and I worship over here. He just parries that away. He doesn't even react to it. He never goes off message. He keeps the, me- the focus on matters of eternal Consequence. He doesn't shy away from incredible sounding things. I who speak to you am He. You know, sometimes when we we share the gospel, sometimes we explain the message, sometimes when we talk to people about Jesus, we're embarrassed. Well, God came to earth. I mean, you know, God came to earth. That's the message. He came to earth to save, He came to earth to rescue us. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. You see, we forget that when we're talking to people, the Holy Spirit may be convicting them of sin righteousness and judgment and we act as if it's up to us the postman doesn't bring you your mail and then read it, read it to you say now this is your power bill you've gone into the second tier here you're not very environmentally sensitive you're just burning up all kind of fossil fuels doesn't do that the postal service person male or female young or old just delivers the message the power is in the message and that's all we have to do we don't go off message we stay on message. Let's not shy away from the message. And don't let your fears distract you. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. No one is sufficient in and of themselves to convince anyone to believe the gospel. It's a God thing. The power is in the message. Romans 1.16 says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, the message, is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes... To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the gospel that saves people of all cultures and races and socioeconomic and political persuasions. All we have to do is deliver the goods. One message saves all kinds of people from all kinds of places. And that message is in Romans ten nine through 13. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved... For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have a very simple message. Christ died for our sin according to the scriptures. He rose according to the scriptures. And in him there is eternal life. And if you trust in him, if you put your confidence and your faith in this God-man, this God who came to earth in the form of a human being to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, if you would just trust in his promises, you can have eternal life. As you turn away from the old way and put your faith and confidence in him. So what do you do with this? By way of application, don't add to the message, just deliver it. Don't dilute it, don't water it down. As you deliver the message, like a good messenger, don't get drawn into side conversations that take the focus off of the need of the lost person for salvation. Don't mix it up with them. Don't mix ideology or philosophy or political persuasion or whatever it is with the message. Avoid that common mistake. Don't underestimate the power of the message.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby on this special edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast. Hello
1: everyone and thank you for listening today. In the uncertainty of the COVID-19 crisis, many people within the Hillside Church community and all over Santa Clara County are in the middle of financial hardship and we need to pray for them. And we would ask you to pray for us as well. We want to thank you for listening and supporting this ministry, but it is a listener-supported ministry and... And as much as we covet your prayers, we also ask you to consider a financial contribution to the ongoing work of this radio broadcast. Grace to Live Radio provides encouragement to so many people in the outside world who can't make it to church. And you can be part of that ministry by supporting us financially as you support us prayerfully. This is Keith Crosby, and I want to thank you for your prayers and your encouragement.
0: If you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, And of course, you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening.